Hey, welcome to a brand new episode of Purple Politics, quite possibly the first one of 2021. Now, you may have been expecting myself, Sean Thompson, as well as uh, I am very delighted to bring in my new liberal co-host, Jay Stittleberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the new Purple Politics. So what, in case uh, you're wondering about this show, Purple Politics is the mixture of the red and the blue where you have a conservative and a liberal picking topics to discuss every week and see if we can meet somewhere in the middle to bring the red and the blue together to make purple, or even if we can't agree to still end each episode by cracking open a beer and promoting civil discourse and a little bit of education and information along the way. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and, and I think we're going to want to try to educate people on what each side stands for and, and look at the differences between conservatism and liberalism and really look at the difference between parties and ideologies. And in my opinion, you know, I go through life based on what I believe in. I don't pick a party. Uh, I just believe in how I believe. And sometimes it's a mix and mash, and we're going to find that uh, we actually can have civil conversations uh, and get along with each other, even though we may not always agree on everything. Or never agree, possibly. But, Jay, <laughs> one thing I can't agree on, you raised a very excellent point here. It's party versus ideology. So, of course, traditionally, Republican, conservative, Democrat, liberal. However, parties have changed. Now, you may have heard that, you know, somewhere magically the Republican and the Democrat Party switched one day, and that is true yet untrue. It's not a magical day that happened. In the 1860s, of course, it was the Republican Party who fought against slavery, who, you know, that was the North in the Civil War, and the Democrat Party founding of the Ku Klux Klan was the South. However, between the 1860s and the 1930s, there was a shift, and you can thank at the turn of the century, William Jennings Bryan, who was a Democrat who wanted to promote social justice by expanded federal powers. And of course, it took, you know, several years to do this over. So parties swap. So you can say, well, you know, I'm Republican and you were a Democrat, so you were a Ku Klux Klan, but of course that changes. As a conservative, as a fiscal conservative, I've never voted straight ticket in my life. I lean Republican, obviously, in many of my choices. Um, I, I believe firmly in the right of secret ballot, so I'm not going to tell you who I voted for, but I can tell you I voted for Reagan and Bush's um, and not Clinton's. So I'll, I'll say that. My ideology personally, uh, well, conservatism, the definition of that in the dictionary is someone with a political uh, beliefs in free enterprise, private ownership, and socially traditional ideas. So that's the definition of a conservative. Uh, Jay, do you have a comparable definition of a liberal? Yeah, so I can imagine some of you might think that the liberal definition from the dictionary is completely opposite of what Sean just told us. Uh, but the reality is, is if we actually look at the dictionary definition of liberalism, uh, what it really talks about is liberalism promotes, uh, promotes individual rights, uh, civil liberties, democracy, and free enterprise. So, so these are not things really far off from each other when you actually look at the defini uh, definitions from the dictionary of these uh, two words. Right. It's interesting to see that free enterprise is actually in both these definitions here. And this is from dictionary.com, which, of course, would never lie to us. <laughs> Ever. These are the same people I mean, who recently put irregardless in. So i got to take dictionary.com. It's, it's on the web. It's true, right? That's, this is true. <laughs> 
So, of course, uh, let me explain to you who I am for any of our new viewers. My name is Sean Thompson. I'm a local personality, and personality is the way way to to put it. Um, I do weekly shows for Woodlands Online as well as uh, Conroe Radio. I'm a fiscal conservative, which means I believe in a balanced budget, uh, lower taxes, responsible spending of taxes. I also believe as a conservative in the uh, uh, enforcement of existing laws. I am all for immigration. I'm a military brat. I grew up all over the world. I love immigration. However, I have a strong illegal immigration stance. I also believe when it comes to foreign policy, a very, very, very strong foreign policy as well as a very strong military, we are a superpower, one of the very few left on the block, and I do believe that the strongest kid on the block, it is their responsibility to take care of the lesser kids on the block. That's me in a nutshell. Jay? Yeah, great. Uh, And I'm Jay Stittleberg. I'm a veteran of the U.S. Navy. I served as a submarine warfare officer for many years. I graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy uh, what, 25 years ago now. I'll age myself a little bit. Uh, I work in the oil and gas industry. I'm a project manager. That's what I do for my full-time job. And I've, uh, many of you may know, I've run for office a couple of times here in Montgomery County for county judge in 2018 uh, and for the Senate District 4 in, in 2020 this year. And, so, and I'm a Democrat. And so what does, that, what does that mean that I'm a Democrat? Well, you know, I have an interesting background. So, so I believe in social issues. I believe everybody should be treated uh, as a person for their talents and character. Uh, they shouldn't be treated based on the color of their skin or their religious background or anything else. Everyone should be treated uh, because of those things. And I also believe that I'm also a fiscal conservative. So I may, I may be a liberal Democrat, as people like to call me, but I'm a fiscal conservative. I care about how my tax dollars are spent. Uh, and I think the government needs to do a better job of how they spend our tax dollars. And I think many people can agree with that. And, and so, so these are the issues that really uh, are the biggest ones for me uh, when it comes to that. I know we're going to talk a lot through the course of this series. We're going to talk about things like uh, law enforcement and, and the military. And uh, obviously, I'm a veteran, so I believe in a strong military. Uh, and, and being a veteran, I also believe in strong law enforcement. And so we're going to have some good conversations about this as, as the time goes on, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, one thing that we will guarantee to do is to tick off members of our own parties, <laughs> as well as the other party. Uh, as I said, I'm a fiscal conservative. On many social issues, I am more liberal or progressive. Heck, I'm in musical theater, so how can I be otherwise? Um, and as Jay just pointed out, he's a fiscal conservative. So... One point behind the show is to point out that it's really hard to pigeonhole any one single person. It's like saying, walking in a room and saying, I'm a Catholic or I'm a Rastafarian or something and getting everything from that one thing. I'm left-handed. Whoopie-doo. You know, we are made up of so many different parts and individual beliefs. And one of the purposes of the show is to find the common ground to entertain, hopefully, inform and educate yeah. on local, national, and global scales. Yeah, I agree, because there's, there's nothing more that I dislike than you know, people being lumped into a group just because you have a certain letter after your name or uh, some adjective that's associated with you, and you're just lumped into a group, and that's it. There's no other choice, when, and that's just not how the world works. Uh, we're all individuals, and we all have our brains, and, and, that, and we use them to think, uh, and, and so I, I really despise that. In, especially in politics. Well, there we go. 
So let's dive right into it with local. So we got some local news here. The Conroe City Council runoff has successfully completed with Coach Marsha Porter uh, reassuming her place. She was on City Council, was off for a while, now back on in position five. This position, of course, was open because Mayor Jody Jitkinski, please tell me I'm pronouncing that (laughs) correct, Jody, we've met a few times now and I'm sorry for mangling your name, uh, was in position five and is now the mayor of Conroe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know... um Conroe's has got a lot of politics associated with it, just like much of Montgomery County does, you know. And so it's it's you know you're always going to see new or returning faces uh, in our local politics. And again, to me, the most important thing about local politics, which is the most important politics for everybody to follow, you want you want something that's going to affect your daily life as soon as they make a decision on a city council, for example, uh, or a county commissioner on the, on the commissioner's court. Uh, pay attention to your local politics. It's really important because those decisions they make can affect your pocketbook, you know, tomorrow, quite frankly. So I think it's really important you do that. And it's about holding your local elected officials accountable. I mean, if we look at city races, city races are nonpartisan, right? Mm-hmm. So, so partisanship, even though we know it plays a role, should not play a role. It should all be about what is best for the citizens of the city that, you know, you run for in. That, and that's the whole point of it being nonpartisan. You know, I wish that's something that would change, especially around here, is how partisan, nonpartisan races become. I think that's a great topic for a future episode of what if we, you know, recently Texas got rid of the straight ticket voting, where you couldn't just hit the one button and hit all R's and or, or all D's. And I was a big fan of that, still am, and I'm glad that the uh, effort to overturn that was foiled yeah. because I'm all for going down each list. Remember, on a ballot, you don't have to vote for everything that's on there. And you can pick and choose. Yep. Uh, so I think we should talk about that in a future time, yeah, about sure. the R's and D's behind the names and how much they affect. We'll make a note. There we go. <laughs> Producer Justin, make a note of this. Uh, so with Montgomery County politics, now Montgomery County is unique uh, in regards to maybe Harris County in a couple of ways. Number one, uh, we have a county leadership who's more, uh, I'm going to say, laid back about social distancing um, then let's say Harris County. Of course, the county judge in Harris County, Lena Hidalgo, is very firm on shutdowns, lockdowns, social distancing, and what have you. And, of course, we have County Judge Markeo up here, who's more of a following Greg Abbott in the sense of if, you know, open up. I'm not, I'm not saying let's go willy-nilly. But I think Montgomery County does have, you know, this reputation now of being I, more. I would agree. I, I definitely agree. And I, you know, I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance that always has to be taken. I think you can't, you know, even during this pandemic, I don't think you can, you can totally go one side uh, or totally go the other, either c- completely open or completely closed. I think it's very tough to make a decision like that as an elected official. Uh, and I think that, you know, you really need to have science and data behind your decision making uh, when it comes to things like that. Uh, so you have to find the right balance. Right. And, and I think that's really important. And, and you know, again, I, th- I, I do believe that the counties should work together um, to try to come to some agreement on how they should do it. Because if you have, you know, for example, one county that really has laid back rules and doesn't really enforce anything and you have another county that does, uh, when you just have to drive, you know, 10 miles to go do what you want to, uh, that can also create some problems. So I think there should definitely be some communication across the board, which I don't think happens either. Right. And we're actually going to talk about that in the global uh, segment of this episode. Uh, but staying local, I think COVID is, very, of course, very ubiquitous. It touches every aspect of life, especially right now, budgeting. You talk about jacking up a, a county's budget plans. 
just introduced COVID-19 to the mix. And so let's talk about the things that are facing not only Conroe City Council, but of course the Woodlands Township Board of Directors. They're instilled now. They're ready to go. So as uh, we're probably past New Year's when you're watching this, but we're taping this beforehand. So I'm expecting things like this to be on the agenda, including budgeting, uh, addressing the county and city and township growth factors, as well as annexation versus incorporation. So pick a topic. Let's talk about it briefly. Well, I think uh, I think one of the biggest topics, if we look at, you know, the woodlands, for example, I think one of the biggest topics that's going to be talked about is annexation uh, versus incorporation, right? I think the incorporation conversation is a pretty hot topic in the woodlands. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot to discuss when it comes to, you know, that topic. I mean, I don't live in the woodlands, so, you know, honestly, I don't have skin in the game as far as a resident is concerned. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what's important is is that the, the residents have the ability to see the, the studies and the, the, the data that's come out uh, that comes from these studies that says how much it's going to cost to incorporate. I think that's, you know, when you have to create a whole new government and you know, police departments and fire departments and, and then the stuff is not cheap. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of considerations there, you know, and I, I think people also need to understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's not like they can be annexed in the next two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's definitely time to make sure that the studies are done correctly and then let the people have the information and make the decision because it'll be up to a vote of the citizens or the residents of of the Woodlands. A definite ballot hot button topic. Now I want to quickly explain to you the difference between annexation and incorporation because you know you can make it through life not knowing what a certain thing means and but you're too embarrassed to ask about it so we're going to assume that like me you knew nothing about it before this episode began so annexation is adding a territory to an existing city and incorporation is creating a whole new city so the woods the woodlands of course a master planned community done in the mid-80s by george mitchell always planned for substantial growth and it's made up of several villages in this unincorporated township now as it's grown it's gone from more of a you know first colony the congro plantation flowering gardens master planned community to a big honking city-like organization that sooner or later will either have to be incorporated or annex. Now, I can't imagine the woodland uh, annexation. I can't imagine the woodlands being made spring, which is <laughs> which is what the territory right. is. So to turn the woodlands into spring, there's a unique flavor in it. Mm-hmm. So that leaves, of course, incorporation. Of course, that in the upcoming uh, ballots, that's going to be a huge honking deal. There was a feasibility study that was being done, cost a lot of money. It made it almost to the end, and then, of course, COVID hit, and they had to put everything on hold. Yeah, and you got to keep in mind, too, when it comes to this incorporation conversation, that uh, it wasn't until 2017, if I'm not mistaken, that the state legislature passed a a law that actually allowed the Woodlands to even consider incorporation. Mm Um, so it's not something that's been debated, uh, you know, for, for many, 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 many years. I mean, this didn't really get approved in, in state law until a few years ago for them to even discuss it. So uh, because they were already too big to incorporate m- based on the old laws that were in place in the state of Texas. So, mm-hmm. so uh, <clears throat> again, I think it's an important conversation. I think, you know, I think <clears throat> for the residents of the Woodlands, I think it's really important for them to to have data and make a decision whether, you know, they want to incorporate or whether they don't um, because there's a lot of benefits. There's pros and cons to both, right? I mean, you know, you want control of, of your own area that you live in and you want the ability to elect officials, you know, because let's be honest, the Woodlands Township Board is a glorified homeowners association uh, that does have a little taxing authority. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's what they are. 
Uh, and so if you, you, know, you want a true government that's going to run your city, uh, then obviously incorporation is going to be the answer. But I think, you know, for them, again, it's going to be up to the data and what people decide. So. Right. And it's vitally important you do know all the things that would go into incorporation, including uh, there, there, you, we can no longer piggyback off of Montgomery County Sheriff's Office or the local Well, you council. can. You just have to pay for it. Right. So there would have to be paid for. law enforcement. You, you know, uh, there would have to be, uh, well, it just goes to become a city, you can't do it every day or else we'd all just be a whole bunch of cities and I'd have Skippyville down the street somewhere. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's true. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So there's a lot of discussion that's going to be had and, and really it's going to come down to dollars, right? I mean, how it's going to come down to tax dollars. Mm -hmm. How's it going to affect people's taxes? I mean, I think that's an important, uh, I, that's probably one of the only deciding factors I would imagine right. in, in how people are going to vote for it. Well, to wrap up uh, the local aspect of it, I got to agree with Jay on this that local politics are extremely important here. And go to, well, you can either go to or they got a camera in there for County Commissioner's Court for Conroe City Council meetings, for Woodlands Township Board meetings. These are open to the public unless they go into executive session. Where you go, you may not be able to just, you know, shout from the peanut gallery what you want, but you can get yourself on the agenda to ask questions, to demand answers from your elected officials that's what they're there for and if they don't willingly give you those answers it's something to keep in mind next time they're on the ballot yeah and i you know even if you live in a small smaller community that does have a council right shenandoah's mm -hmm. got a council uh so it just depends on where you live look up where you live and pay attention to you know things people think are silly right mud boards uh school boards you know, these all have a direct impact on your daily lives, and, and they're, they're so important to pay attention to. And in my opinion, much more important than state and, and federal politics, because it's just can affect your pocketbook so much quicker. And if you want proof positive that every vote counts, I do know that in the last <laughs> mud election, there was a five-way tie because each of the candidates got two votes, which meant themselves and their spouse. People, if you can't get a third person to vote for you, you have no business running. <laughs> So just, you know, do what you can. Every vote counts, especially in the local politics. Sure. Well, let's leave local and go into yeah. national news. So Great. there's so much to talk about. We could go down a rabbit hole and have <laughs> open discussions, or we can have some preset discussions, which is what we did. So first we're going to talk about the NDAA, which, of course, stands for uh, Now Democrats Are Anarchists. <laughs> Maybe. No, actually, it's the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. <laughs> this is in the news right here right now it is. because this is the annual rebudgeting of the Department of Defense including the United States military and uh, it was actually vetoed by President Trump now this is his ninth veto there have been eight previous attempted overrides which has not happened but this on this ninth attempt con con attempt Congress is able to override the NDAA so the ram ramifications of this are profound now I will put my personal take on this right now. Sure. Um, I hate pork. And one of I, I, when I become president, one thing I like to change is the ability to put writers on bills that have nothing to do with the bill at hand. And the reason why President Trump vetoed the NDAA is because it did not include wordage on removing Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act in other words, the thing that's been protecting the platform versus publisher, uh, what these uh, committee hearings have been with uh, the heads of Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff. Now, you could possibly find some shirt tail relationship between Section 230 
of the Communications Decency Act and national defense, I don't see it. I don't think it should have been there in the first place. Yeah, well, um, I, I know that. So it's been 60 years since, you know, the NDAA has been vetoed by a president. So mm-hmm. it's certainly been a long time uh, since it's happened. Uh, and this particular uh, NDAA was $740 billion, I think, mm-hmm. so, so a, a good chunk of change for the Department of Defense. Uh, and, you know, Section 230, a lot of people have a lot of conversations about Section 230. Is it part of national defense? Is it not? You know, the, it's a good question. The other reason that he vetoed the bill was because of the, the, the part of the bill that's talking about renaming uh, military installations that are named after Confederate soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another contentious topic and, and reason, at least publicly, that he put out as far as why uh, he vetoed the bill. Uh, honestly, my opinion you know, on it, it, it's already gone through the House. So the House has already unanimously overridden uh, the veto and now goes to the Senate. So we'll see what happens in the Senate. I suspect, based on you know what I've read and seen and heard, uh, that the Senate's going to continue to override the veto. So I think the Congress is going to override the veto on, on this particular bill. Um, and we could talk about Section 230. I think that's 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 another topic I think we can set aside for another show because I think that's a great topic to talk about. Um, and I think there's another, you know, honestly, there's another, uh, call it amendment, that was put on the NDAA, which is another reason uh, that could be put in the back of the mind of why it was vetoed as well, which was the Corporation Transparency Act, which mm-hmm. was put in there. Uh, which is another potential reason, which which really is, requires corporations when they file their taxes at the end of the year to disclose who the owners are. Uh, and, and it's really in, in, in efforts to reduce the amount of money laundering that goes on because typically shell corporations are used to launder money. Uh, and there's no requirement right now for uh, certain corporations to divulge who owns them. Um, so that's, they're passed, that's how they pass money through, and that's how they do it in the United States. So they, obviously they, they feel that's part of our national defense uh, when it comes to that. So that's another part of this bill uh, that, that is in there that, you know, there's some speculation about underlying reasons for veto as well. But, uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to see what Congress does. They're, mm-hmm. they're halfway there, I guess, <laughs> right now. So, so we'll see what happens, but, uh, but I agree, you know, the Section 230 is a good topic of conversation, and we're, we're going to have Justin put that on the list, too. Add it to it, Justin, producer Justin. There you go. Uh, so we also, what happened recently is the COVID bill was recently passed by Congress, and I say recently for us, it just happened. It's been a few days for you. A $900 billion COVID relief package. Now, this, this bill was more than 5,500 pages long. They had a matter of hours, if not minutes, to read it. Good luck with that. Um, now, this is different. This is something I've got to talk to my conservative friends about because somewhere it got <clears throat> conflated, look up the word, that, oh, you know, the Johnson Center got this much money. No, 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 no. There's a difference between the COVID relief package and the $2.3 trillion spending package that was passed the same day. So these are two different bills. Now, there's plenty in the the spending package that I have a problem with. We're not going to talk about that today. But I just want to make it clear to you that, you know, the Kennedy Center is not getting any money off of the COVID relief package. But I do want to talk about it because one of the the battles going on with the COVID relief package is $600 versus $2,000 or $4,000 if you're a couple or $600 per kid. And my stance is what would $600 do or even $2,000 do to fix the damage of what has been 2020? Yeah, I think it's a good question to to talk about. And and I just want to say, too, that, you know, the $2.3 trillion package that was uh, 
put on the table, I guess, when they voted on this. The, the, that made up the $900 billion uh, for the COVID relief package and $1.4 trillion Thank you. Yes. Yeah. for the government funding bill. So the total was $2.3 trillion, but that was $900 billion for the COVID relief, $1.4 trillion. Uh, so I was hoping you wouldn't rec- real, uh, realize so, my mistake on that one, but yeah, you're absolutely so, right. So, so I mean, but th- that's okay. So, but that, I think that's what caused the confusion, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you know I saw a lot of people saying, "Well, why is all this pork money in this COVID bill?" Well, that's really not true. There was a 1.4 trillion dollar government funding bill mm-hmm. that they basically pushed them together to get everything passed at the same time. That's really what they were doing. So, I just wanted to clarify that for for everybody. But at the end of the day, when we look at these uh, one-time stimulus payments, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, talk back and forth about what what is 600 bucks going to do or, or what is $2,000 going to do? Well, you know, I think for a family that's been struggling for months and months and months, uh, I, I can't say that, you know, $2,000 in their pocket is not a, not a bad thing. Uh, I can't say at this point, $600 in their pocket is probably not a bad thing. Anything in their pocket is not a bad thing. Uh, and is it, you know, the problem with it is, 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 does it fix the problem? No, it doesn't fix the problem. But at this point in time and where we are, at least in my opinion, uh, and it's not targeted, right? I guess mm-hmm. the other thing I should say is it's not targeted. It's just families that make less than certain amounts of money, $75,000 for an individual, one hundred and fifty dollars for a married couple. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm somebody at this point in time that I think they need something in their pocket. Is mm-hmm. it going to fix their problems? I mean, a majority of these people, by the way, are already over $5,000 in debt mm-hmm. because they haven't been able to pay their rent or their mortgage for months and months and months, and they struggle to even put food on the table. So so either one, in my opinion, is going to help them to some extent, at least to put food on the table, if, if nothing else. Does it fix the problem? It doesn't fix the problem. Um, and, and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, Sean. I don't know what fixes the problem right now. And that's, um, I mean, that's a huge honking you know. talk, topic. You're absolutely right. And I am a fan of emergency assistance, mm-hmm. but I'm not a fan of Band-Aids or continuing resolutions or things that just kick the can down the street. Uh, <laughs> with what the nation and the world, and we'll talk about this in the global segment of the episode, uh, but the nation is under, you know, with this lockdown, with the, the questions of, can you eat inside? Can you eat outside? Does COVID magically disappear at 10 o'clock at night? Um, you know, there's no one single voice, no one single answer that has this. The, the rules are capricious and change daily on wear a mask, don't wear a mask, six feet, eight feet. It, it, COVID uh, lasts on stainless steel. No, it doesn't. This kind of mask work. This one doesn't. Surgeon General said this. Well, he said that then. Now he's saying that. It changes every day. And I think just throwing 600 to $2,000 at someone it's it's a band-aid on a gash and i'm all for yes people are hurting i know i am uh you know business has suffered for me the problems go beyond someone needing 600 bucks to go to the store and especially as jay said it's untargeted which has a plus you're, you're not beholden to buy anything particular but it's also a minus you're not beholden to buy anything particular and i remember after katrina a lot of neighbors suddenly had new tvs um and they're cheap apartments right next door to me. So when so, you know when you give someone just cash and say this is for you, um, there are issues sometimes on well it needs to be spent in the right place. So I don't think there's an easy answer to this. One. No, I really don't. You know, but I'll say at this point in time, you know, I'm all for giving people the money at this point in time mm-hmm. because you know I, I think people need it. Does it solve the problem? No, uh, but I think we've got ourselves in this position that we're in right now. 
Uh, and I think that, you know, obviously, obviously something's going to happen, right? I mm -hmm. mean, the bills passed $600 as a given at this point in time. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the $2,000. But um, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm for, for giving people something. Even if it's not targeted, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to help a lot of people. I agree to the point that, yes, give it to them now, to give it to them today, but tomorrow, have a different plan. For those of you who heard me before know that I'm furious with the GOP. They had seven years to come up with an alternative to the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, and for seven years we were you know, hearing repeal and replace, repeal and replace. What was repealed, nothing to replace it with. There's, you've got to have a plan. And this is where I tick off the Republicans on my side. Sorry, guys and gals, but you can't just throw the money at this and then feel good about yourself. No, it's got to be followed up with something else. Agreed. I agree. That's another topic to put on the list. There we go. So <laughs> we have the whole 2021 plan. So to wrap up the national segment of this thing, I will say that there is a runoff going on uh, in Georgia. Magically, Georgia holds the answers to everything, including whether the Democrats will hold the White House, the House, and the Senate, or if we Republicans can hold on to one thing to, to afford checks and balances for the next two years. Of course, we have the midterms in two years. So, um, But we do have two Republicans, they're both incumbents, uh, Leffler and Purdue. And I, I, I did not bother to write down who the Democratic challengers were because I don't want to give them the free press. Do you, <laughs> do you know, Jay? Yeah, John Ossoff and uh, the Reverend Warnock. Um, down there, John Ossoff's running against Purdue and, and Warnock's running against Leffler. Um, you know, it's going to be an interesting, it, it, there's a week left. You yeah. know, it's, it'll be over probably by the time, maybe close to it, well, you got time, you guys see it, but it's a week from today uh, when we'll actually find out who wins those races. And look, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm somebody who believes in balance in government, and, and I don't believe any one party should ever control everything in government because typically it only leads to bad things no matter which side has control. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the only thing I'll say about this is that the one person that I really, really dislike in Washington, D.C., because I just don't feel he lets the process work like it's supposed to, is Mitch McConnell. And, and I think Mitch McConnell creates a lot more problems in Washington, D.C. as the, as the head of the Senate uh, than's worth it. He's got hundreds of bills sitting on his desk that he will not let people vote on. And that's how this is supposed to work. Put the bill on the floor, let them debate it and vote on it. If they like it, vote for it. If they don't, not. And just to leave, uh, you know, all these hundreds of bills on his desk and not let them go to the floor, I think it just damages our political process in its entirety. So, so that's my two cents on that. I don't want to see one party have power, total power. Uh, but at the end of the day, in my opinion, Mitch McConnell creates a lot more problems in Washington, D.C. than it's worth. Jay, I will see your Mitch McConnell and I will raise you on Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> well, that's, you know, fair enough. Uh, and I well, again, this is kind of a point of purple politics is I like calling out idiocy which knows no aisle, which knows no section of the room. And I think, with, you know, D.C. and local politics, well, general politics, is just rife with idiots. And, uh, you know, you may blip that, that keep word getting out elected. for me. Um, yeah, and here's the thing. It's, uh, there are those who would stymie a process uh, for love of party more than ideology. Now, at the beginning, Jay and I said that, like, for instance, the definitions of both conservatism and liberalism include free enterprise and, and, and individual, you know, rights and, and stuff. That these are things that should not fall into one party or the other. Yeah. And there's a couple of, in my perspective, examples of leadership, and I use that word in the broadest possible sense with finger quotes, le leadership, uh, that are causing some issues. Well, you know, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I don't like people that are in politics for their whole lives. 
And, and the fact, you know, Nancy Pelosi's been the speaker for 17 years, if you add up all the years she's been the speaker. Uh, and I, I've not ever been afraid to say it's, it's, we need somebody else. I mean, you can't keep having the same person over and over and over again. I mean, look, look at how old Mitch McConnell is. Look at how old Nancy Pelosi is. Um, you know, they grew up in a time that does, doesn't anywhere close represent what America looks like today, in my opinion. So, so you know, we, we need to make these changes and they need to have, you know, a hierarchy uh, uh, of, of who's going to come next, right? I mean, who, who's, who's been, I don't want to use the word grooming, but we all know that's what happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we need younger people in there. We can't, we can't keep having people that are 80 years old, you know, running our country. And I, I believe that for the president all the way down the line. So... Here we go. Now, perversely, I think Jay and I agree <laughs> on the Georgia runoff, maybe to some extent now, or the, the end justifying the means. I, of course, both want both Leffler and Purdue to win to maintain the Senate because, as Jay pointed out, to have any one party, of course, I'd be happier if it was my party, but to have any one party uh, in control of all three branches of government, to me, just sends a shudder down my spine. And I would very, very, very much like there to be a GOP, even if it's a small hold, on the Senate uh, to ensure a little check and balance that may not be there otherwise. Sure. Okay. I get it. There we go. So on the agreement scale, I think we're purple, as magenta <laughs> as can be. Okay, now we're going to move on to the global status of this episode here. So, uh, of course... What's the number one story in the world right now? Um, lockdowns. You know, Great Britain is in lockdown. You know, the countries, every country's trying their own thing, and people on one day can say, hey, look at New Zealand. Uh, and then it's because New Zealand sealed its borders, and then they opened their borders, and it hit again, and Greenland, and Iceland, and, and, and all these things. And to me, Jay, a big problem when you compare America to any other nation on the planet or in the universe is that you can't compare the two. It is comparing apples to anvils. It, there, there is no, you know, be, because of a, a nation's history, its populace, its, its flavor, as it were. You know, I, I grew up in Europe. I was very uh, privileged to grow up overseas to where I could visit 2,000-year-old churches that just don't exist in America. Uh, so there's a tradition that goes back in, in, in England or, or whatnot. You can't compare it to um, the Netherlands uh, or Greenland where there's a population uh, disparity or, or that, you know, health care is available here but not here because of that, because of the money that's involved or the taxation rates that are involved. So the issue for me, Jay, with uh, with COVID is that, like you said earlier, you have two counties, one that is taking COVID a certain way, the other one that's not. Sometimes it's within a city or within a building, mm -hmm. you, you know, that or at a certain time frame to mm -hmm. have a, a curfew. But now we have full nations. Now, you're a world traveler. I mean, you actually mm -hmm. travel frequently, don't you? Mm -hmm. So you've been out there more than I have recently. Talk to me about the communication or lack thereof between countries when it comes to COVID. Yeah, well, you know, obviously I haven't traveled internationally lately. Okay. <laughs> um, but I have traveled around the world uh, throughout my life. Uh, and, I, you know, again, I think, you know, the problem with COVID and, and the international world is that, you know, we can't compare, just like you said, you can't compare the United States to, to Britain. Uh, quite frankly, you can't compare the United States to Canada, even though there's just a border separating us, which is what, an invisible line, mm -hmm. right? 
um, or, or any of the other European countries for that matter. You know, it's, you just can't because the, their, their governments are run very differently. Uh, their, their social safety nets, if I call them that, are, are much uh, 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 more detailed than anything we have here in the United States, quite frankly. Uh, you know, so uh, these smaller countries, because they are smaller than the United States, uh, w when they do a lockdown or, or they shut the borders or they do whatever they do, um, you know, there are obviously people are affected. Everyone's mm -hmm. going to be affected by that. But in certain circumstances, they, they may not be as affected by as if a country like the United States just said, we're going to completely shut down the entire country and lock everything down. Uh, because, you know, number one, it's a, it's, it's a huge country and, and ge geographically it's a huge country. Um, and different parts of the country are going to have, you know, there's different things happening in different parts of the country. Whereas, you know, if you're in Germany, for example, Germany is a fairly small country geographically. So they might have the same kind of things going on everywhere where, you know, that's just not going to be the case in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, again, you know, we need to compare apples to apples when we, we talk about these things. And, and I think that, you know, I, I certainly believe that, you know, like in the United States, that states, you know, should, should be able to do the things they need to do um, as far as COVID goes. But I think they need to talk to everybody, right? And this is, you know, this topic and talking like this, you know, kind of reminds me of some another hot topic I'm sure we'll get to, which is gun control at some point in time. Uh, because I do believe the states have the rights, you know, if something's different going on in their state and they can handle things, uh, that's all fine and well. But the, the, the con to that is you can't just have people come to your state from another state that creates problems, if you understand what I'm saying. And I say that this will be a great <laughs> California, topic. we're looking at you. This will be a great topic with gun control because, you know, again, people like to use Chicago with this conversation of gun control and they can just go to Indiana 10 minutes away, depending on where they live, and, and purchase a firearm. But you know, it's to me, it's kind of the same thing. Certain certain laws don't work in localized areas because of that exact reason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we need to be smart about how we're doing things. And communication is always key. You know, and that's one thing that's totally missing in our politics, in my opinion, is you know, you're either looked at as red or blue, and and there's no in between. And if you're red and this person's blue, and I'm not talking to you, and likewise the other way around. And when we do that, nothing happens. Nothing gets solved. Um, because that, that's not how uh, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill did it. Uh, that's, that's not how Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich did it. Uh, they actually talked to each other and they compromised. So th this is a really difficult topic when it comes to, you know, the, the shutdowns and the lockdowns and how it affects people. Um, you know, I, 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 again, I just don't, I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, I've never, we've never faced this. I mean, you know, even my grandmother, who's 90 years old, going to be 91 here pretty soon, she's never faced this because she wasn't alive in, in 20, uh, uh, 1917 and 18 when the last pandemic hit the world. So, right. you know, I, I just there's no easy answer here. And there's something I've been very vocal about, that there was something that was magical, <clears throat> and again, I'm using finger quotes, about COVID-19. Now, I think it came at the perfect point, mixed in with a lot of social unrest, and the simple fact that for some reason... Over the last few years, the Geneva Convention and the Marquise of Queensbury rules have gone out the window. Uh, I was watching um, a movie the other day where there was two guys fighting, and I pointed out to my wife, men fight by rules for the most part. I'm going to sound genderist here, and I don't mean <laughs> to, but you know, we know not to go nuclear option and, and punch or kick certain places unless all else has failed. You follow a sequence of events. Whereas I've seen cat fights happen where all bets are off. And I just feel that 
the the rules that saying don't punch someone there right off the bat have gone out the window. Um, social media has made heroes from a thousand paces from everybody. It seems to be uh, the filters are gone. Uh, hmm. I'm sure we've both been called hmm. horrendous names, and of course we both live just fine and dandy with it. <laughs> yeah. I've survived all my ex-wives. I can survive you, Sparky, and you know who you're talking about, <laughs> calling me names on Facebook. But the, the 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 social discourse, the ability to have two people of opposing ideologies getting in and talk seems to be a lost art. And, of course, we're trying to hmm. repaint this picture as it, as it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know... the. I just can't stress enough, you know, communication and being able to talk to each other. Whether it's your neighbor that lives next door to you, uh, you know, fellow parents uh, from kids that are on the street, uh, whatever it is. I mean, you know, we have to be able to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we may not, we're not going to agree on every issue. We're, we're, that's not how humans are made. That, that's not how we work. Uh, but that doesn't mean at the end of the day we, we can't be civil with each other <clears throat> and, and respect each other's opinions and, and move on with life. Um, I mean, that, I, I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. I don't get why it's so polarized. You know, I, I mean, I've certainly been labeled many things just because of the letter after my name, uh, which are completely not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been called unpatriotic and, and you know, you're a socialist and you know, you believe in communism. I've been told all these things, yet I wore a uniform for 15 years and fought for this country against all those things. So, so you know, I, I think it gets way out of proportion, and, and I really wish it would go away. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I really, you know, was excited to get asked to do this and co-host this show, because I think it's so important to show people, uh, all of you, out there that, you know, we, we can have conversations about all these hot topics. You, you name a hot topic, and, and we'll talk about all of them, whether it's abortion or gun control or anything else we've brought up uh, that we've put on our list for, for uh, you know, 2021 to talk about on the show. You know, we can all sit and talk about these things and, and have conversations and, 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 and certain times agree to disagree, and sometimes we're going to maybe change our minds on, on something. So, because that, that's how it really should work. And, and it should definitely work that way in politics. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I can't stress enough that people should vote for people and not for parties. I there mean, you go. It's so important. I'm talking about uh, COVID and the global uh, arena. I think there are two main problems. One, we don't have a singular entity, singular voice, the Earth Defense Force. That's, you know, when I was a kid growing up, there were always in the science fiction movies, there was always Earth president so, Earth right. defense force you know, we don't have that i'm not promoting a one world one government no. entity mind you but there's no single voice right. and hand in hand with that and i've always had a problem with this uh, this is where i'm going to tick off republicans again i felt the patriot act was extraordinarily overreaching um and easily bastardized into what it's become mm -hmm. and i'd said back in the day shortly after 9 11 probably within a year or so there will come a point where it will become a cash grab and this is where you know it's ineffective and if you look at the TSA and going to the airport, now you can have what's called pre-check, which is where you pay a little extra money uh, every year and you get to go to the front of the line and not get patted Guilty. down. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so, of course, that's where it becomes a cash grab. I am segueing from this into the, the England lockdowns, which are fine-based. They're not criminal-based. Here's the thing. you want to If you think you want to stop the spread of COVID in England – and someone's breaking it, you don't find them 500 pounds, you throw them in the pokey for 30 days, 
problem solved for, for your thing, but now it's become a cash grab. Once something becomes a cash grab, I can't take it seriously. Yeah. No, <clears throat> I agree. I mean, you know, after 9-11, I mean, I was in the service in 9-11. I was on, on my first submarine uh, when 9-11 happened. Uh, a lot of things happened, you know, following 9-11. Um, you know, some things were good, some things, you know, were going to have repercussions years down the road, even though maybe at the moment they were the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, what government tends to do, in my opinion, is they, they put something in place and they never go back and revisit it and see how it needs to change. I mean, you know, the federal government's guilty of it. The state of Texas is certainly guilty of it uh, with the laws they have in this state that they've never gone back and and refined and how do we need to change this over time we could talk about that public education the robin hood program all those things uh, about laws they put in place and don't go back and refine and look at how do we calculate these things they just keep it in place and 10 years down the road it clearly doesn't work anymore but they refuse to go change things right so uh, you know it becomes a challenge with with things like that for sure you know i mean um 9-11 was a terrible time, and certain things happened after 9-11 that the country needed, I think. Um, Don't get me wrong. The Patriot but, Act was needed, but I felt it, it's finished product. And, but, and again, <clears throat> but again, you're right. I mean, so many things become a cash grab, right? I mean, I have TSA pre-check. I'm, I'm guilty. I have global entry. Uh, I'm guilty. I, I pay the money. Uh, to do it so I don't have to get patted down and I don't have to take my shoes off or my belt off or my coat off. White privilege. And, <laughs> and uh, um, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to do it for, for that purpose. But again, you know, when, when we turn things, you know, that are not intended to be that. Right. right. And then they turn into that, right? I mean, I mean, the TSA formed after 9-11, right? I mean, right. It's, it's well, the, DHS and it's TSA. The, it's the biggest government expansion that has happened in our lifetimes. And, of course, it happened under a Republican. I might just throw that at you. but Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so when it comes for, like, like I said, in England, uh, there's no singular voice globally or even nationally. Um, you have this expert saying this, this expert saying this, this Surgeon General saying this, this former Surgeon General saying this, the head of the WHO saying this, the head of CDC saying this. And, of course, it's just, it's kerfluffled. And that, combined with the lack of Marquis of Queensbury rules, and it's not Marquis, it is Marquis of Queensbury rules, to, to be able to look at varying... Uh, Jay, every morning... My Alexa, I'm oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that because it would probably start playing. Uh, my hmm. Echo, I have it feed me news sources from about half a dozen major sources. Mm -hmm. you know, you, I can't follow just one. Mm -hmm. uh, and same thing, to be able to take information from multiple sources to make your own decisions mm -hmm. or at least best estimates as a result. And this is what I think is sorely lacking from the global response to COVID-19. I think the only good thing that come, come out of it is that when COVID-20 hits whenever... <laughs> We're better prepared globally. Well, the good news is I don't think we'll get a COVID-20 because 2020 is almost over. So at least we're almost almost uh, in the home. COVID-21, yeah. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, I, I, I obviously agree we should use many news sources. You know, anytime I read something, Facebook, prime example, right? I read something on Facebook. I'm like, wow, that looks too good to be true <laughs> or Wow, that's really outrageous. I Trust, start, but verify. I start verify going and looking at s several different news sources, liberal, conservative, mm -hmm. because if it's a true story and it has that big of an impact, they're all going to pick it up. 
And so if you go look at them and they all don't pick it up, there's something awry in that story. So, mm. you know, everyone should always kind of keep on Don't matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's true either way. Um, you, you should definitely research those things uh, because uh, <laughs> it's the only way to, 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 to really verify kind of what you're reading, right? That'll right. go into our Section 230 conversation in a future show, I think. Right, and Jay and I both wholeheartedly <laughs> encourage you to suck up all the news you can from multiple sources, even the ones you don't agree with. You know, I am not a fan of CNN or MSNBC, not a fan of Fox either right now. But what I'm saying is I'll still, just because I don't like what I hear or see or read from them, doesn't mean I shouldn't take in the information because I can compare and contrast it to right. others, especially overseas, BBC World News, Reuters. I'm a huge fan of Reuters. Uh, everyone's got their own spin. And that's the that's an issue, unfortunately, which leads us actually into our next segment. And let is, me just say one thing. First. Yes, let absolutely. Me, let me just close out the COVID nineteen discussion and, and the world voice, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think where we are today and the data we have today, and and my experience, because I've you know I have a job that I travel a lot, so I've I've traveled a lot in twenty twenty air traveled state to different states with your pre-check i might add with my pre-check i might add okay. and uh i've stayed obviously i stay in hotels i go out to eat when i go on my business trips and and it's just part of the job that i have that uh, of the type of work i do and you know what i think is a consensus and i think the data shows this is true and i wish this is where this at least one voice would come into play where they could just talk to each other and at least have the same message coming out might not be from the same person mm -hmm. but it's the same message you know, because what I have found is I'm smart when I go out. I, I, For me, I'm smart. I follow the data and the science, and I know wearing a mask helps. So I wear a mask when I go in public. Mm -hmm. um, I wear a mask when I'm on an airplane. I wash my hands all the time. I use hand sanitizer. You know, when I go on a plane flight, I bring my own snacks and soda. I don't interact with the, the flight attendants or the flight crew other than when I get on, they give you the little alcohol wipe to wipe everything down even though the planes are clean mm -hmm. um i you know it's safe to fly i've seen the data on on safe to fly and if you wear your mask and you do the things like i do uh when i go to a hotel they don't clean my room when i'm there uh, i don't let them clean my room i keep my room clean that way there's no interaction going on when i go out to eat you know we and i found today that most every restaurant that i went to in in a different city different state uh all the staff wore masks when, when they served and they, they followed all the right protocols. They had the tables separated at the right distances to try to just maintain social distancing. Uh, and, and, you know, those things obviously work. I mean, I've been traveling almost this whole, I started traveling in probably uh, May um, and, and I've been traveling pretty much ever since. Uh, so there's a few months I didn't at the very beginning, but uh, I found that I followed all those rules and I've had several COVID tests and I've had the antibodies tests and I've had all of it because I travel so much and I've, you know, I've visited my father and, uh, and I'm going to visit my mother uh, later this week. And, and those are the things I do to make sure I'm safe. But I, I find that it's safe when you do these things, right? Mm -hmm. you just If it was a consistent message, that, that's my thing, consistent mm -hmm. message, um, you know, because I think that's what's been lacking. Us, yeah, to be honest. Absolutely agree. So on the agreement uh, level, I think we're as purple as can be, as lilac as the day is long. <laughs> I'm going to bring some of those next time. There we go. I'm the walking thesaurus. And now for, we're going to wrap up this episode with a couple of new uh, segments. One is called What's Going to Kill Us This Week? And I've come up with this because 
every week. It seems the news wants to tell us what's going to kill us this week. This hit me the first time about a year ago when it was net neutrality was going to kill us all, and then the next week it was gone. So this week, here's what's going to kill us from Sean's perspective. Nashville truck explosions. They're going to kill us all. Now, here's something I have in one of my many issues with the with the media, Jay. It's the once media went 24-hour news cycle and that they're all shareholding companies, mm-hmm. which means they got to appease the shareholders by being as sensationalistic as possible and fill in this 24-hour void instead of waiting for the 6 o'clock news to hit every night. And this is where the sensationalism hits, that they got to keep us breathlessly hooked to the TV yeah. when absolutely no new information is coming. It took days to realize that Anthony Quinn Warner is the alleged bomber and what happened, um, you know, did he hate it was parked outside an 18 store was there 5g issues is he a hippie did his father was let go by at&t there's this breathless speculation and until evidence comes out by a recognized spokesperson it's all just speculation designed to hook you on this um i am staggered personally that they were able to immediately get his dna but yet on hunter biden's laptop they're still trying to get the dna <laughs> i'm just saying so that's what's gonna i feel is gonna kill us this week is just the breathless sensationalism of an idiot blowing up himself in an rv in nashville mm. and i'm insanely glad that no one else was hurt or killed in this and i uh, feel bad about the property damage well and it, and it just shows you the sensationalism of news in mm. general i think you know because again uh, you know, the local FBI office there has basically said, and even the, the, the Bureau of Investigations uh, in the state has said, uh, we may never know the motive, right? That's one thing that they don't know is the motive. Like, mm-hmm. what was, why did he do this? Uh, he obviously had one. Um, you know, maybe we'll find out, maybe we won't. But until we actually find one out, you know, we, we could probably do without all the intermediate stuff that gets put out there. Um, you know, because obviously he had planned it, right? I mean, yep. he was giving away his property. He gave away a house. He gave away a car. Uh, yeah, well, I could have used that house. I'm just saying, <laughs> so, Anthony. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, it, it's and, and, and what's going to kill us this week? I, I joked when we came in today and I said, what's going to kill us this week? And I said, a, a bowling alley shooting. Uh, so in my hometown of Rockford, Illinois, uh, often not a good thing voted not even voted named like the most dangerous place to live in america wow uh, it's pretty crazy <laughs> that'll uh, stand out well look at this guy well i guess look at it this way that the, the city has about one hundred seventy thousand people it's probably uh-huh. about the same as it was when i was growing up and they've sounds like a small number but they've had 35 murders this year so it sounds like a small number, right? Because I know that Houston's had but you got to look at per capita. But you got yeah. you know if you look at per hundred thousand, that's like twenty one people killed per hundred thousand in the population, which is a pretty high number, I think, for people getting killed. Wow, that reminds <laughs> me of that city in the vampire movie with Kiefer Sutherland, where they said it was the murder capital of the world. Yeah, maybe it's vampires. You never know. I, I don't know, but anyway, so that happened in my hometown this week, and it was unfortunately it was a veteran that went in there, and apparently. Mm. No, no reason. It was random, but um, killed three people, injured three people. Um, some were older and some were younger. The funny thing is, the bowling alley wasn't open, but the bar was and the takeout food was. So the older people were in the bar, the young teenagers were at the takeout food. Wow! But apparently, he was uh, on leave, a soldier on leave. They don't know any more than that. But again, not 
I mean, I've read one story about it. Yeah, the so. media determined that that's not going to that bowling alleys aren't going to kill us this week, but vans parked outside AT and T centers right. will. Uh, what's no longer going to kill us, which was going to kill us last week, was Parler and MeWe or Parlay MeWe, which of course were the conservative <laughs> answers to Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you know, I sign up for both just for poops and grins. They're boring. You know, I'm, I'm still doing my thing on Facebook, but a week or two ago, these were going to kill us all. This, you know, they must be, they were dangerous catalysts for, for right-wing thought must be destroyed. And also the injections, the COVID injections that a couple of weeks ago, they were going to kill us. Uh, those on his side of the aisle said they weren't going to trust uh, the, you know, I won't trust a Trump injection. And yet they're all getting him today. So it's I good never to know. That. He, no, Jay did not. But there, there were policies of the world and heresies of the world who actually were, I feel, putting lives at risk. And, and jokes aside, I feel uh, lives are put at risk. Uh, going back to the hydroxychloroquine thing, where you know people are saying this this is fake news, no matter what. You don't know. And actually, something like that has a 3% placebo effect, which means it actually did save lives, just the concept of taking it. However, uh, there were those who were saying they wouldn't take the injection as long as the current president was president because they couldn't trust it. As if, which, is a, which is a silly... Which was which is silly, but I'm so glad to know that this is no longer... Trump injections are no longer going to kill us because uh, uh, Vice President-elect Biden... Sorry, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris have both, uh, by now, received these injections. So I'm glad that they're no longer going to kill us. Me too. Okay. That is it for this. You know what else is not going to kill us very shortly? 2020. 2020. We will, uh, you know, our next episode will be the first one of 2020. Uh, It'll be your second one. I do want to talk about Inauguration Day. Uh, It'll be something coming up. But. We're less than an hour in. I think we've solved the world's problems for this week. Now, one thing Jay and I felt very strongly about is that we can finish off every episode with day drinking. Actually, Because why not? Why not? Now, we'll we'll not show you the labels because these aren't sponsors of the show. But do know that Purple Politics you've been watching is a discussion between the red and the blue, hopefully to find a mixture of purple in the middle where civil discourse prevails. If you have any questions with us, drop us a line um, at shows at woodlandsonline.com. We value your input. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear, which topics you'd like not to hear, or uh, anything else. Until then, Jay, till next week. Till next week. And join us again for more Purple Politics.